Welcome to the Megavision Show, episode 99. My name is Chris Powell, and I'm the editor of Megavisions. I apologize for the delayed episode this week. It turns out a semi-truck hit the cable line and knocked out our internet. It's just not my day today. Whew. And I'm just able to get back online today and get this episode uploaded. With that said, we have a great show for you this week. We welcome Megavision staff writer Alicia Graves onto the show for the very first time. She's here to discuss the Activision Blizzard lawsuit that's been ongoing previous to Microsoft agreeing to buy the company last week. I mean, who saw that coming? That was absolutely crazy. Uh, so we're going to jump into that. She's also here to tell us a bittersweet story about a young programmer named Tracy Cullinan who, in the 1980s, developed a game on his Apple II called Glutton. Unfortunately, in 1986, Tracy tragically passed away when he was only 18 years old and Glutton was never released. However, Tracy's brother recently found his original floppy disk that contained Glutton's source code, and he sent it to some professionals who were helping to restore it with the intention to release it to the public. You'll definitely want to hear Alicia tell this story, so stick around. And lastly, Alicia's here to talk to us about Windjammers 2. She reviewed it on the website last week. Be sure to go check that out at www.megavisions.net. Uh, but she tells us her experience jumping into the series and how she thinks it's the ultimate party game. I have to agree with her because, man, I've been having a lot of fun playing Windjammers 2. Uh, me and my son Odin have been playing it all weekend. And even though I'm still very bad at it, and actually I think he's gotten better than I have just over the course of a weekend, uh, I have so much fun playing the game. I really like some of the new uh, mechanics, like being able to jump, the slap shot stuff. It makes you really feel like you have to stay on your toes uh, because you really don't know what your opponent might do because there's so many different types of uh, offensive moves and stuff now. So it's really good stuff. But yeah, I've been having so much fun with Windjammers, and I'm really excited to talk to Alicia more about that as we get into the show. But before we jump into the episode, I want to quickly remind you that you have until January 28th to join our Patreon if you want to secure your copy of Megavisions Issue 2. So go to www.patreon.com megavisions and sign up today. Once you become a patron, every issue will ship right to your door, and each issue of Megavisions contains 64 pages of neo-retro coverage spanning every console generation and features a new original cover by Sketchcraft. So remember, go to www.patreon.com megavisions to secure your next issue of Megavisions magazine today. Okay, and joining me now is Alicia Graves. She is a staff writer with Megavisions. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Alicia. Glad to be here. As we always do when it's someone's first time being on the show, we like to introduce them to the audience and give them an opportunity uh, just to talk to the audience and, and tell them a little bit about yourself, uh, just how long you've been with Megavisions and some of the projects that you've been working on. I've been with Megavisions uh, about six months now, and uh, it's my, my first, like, real big writing gig. I've done some little things here and there, um, but this has been my first chance to actually find my, my niche when it comes to writing, and I've really enjoyed being a part of, of the magazine and watching it um, become something amazing. Uh, as far as, like, gaming goes, I... I was born in the, the early 80s, and so arcades were a big deal back then. My dad took me to an arcade like every Sunday, our local arcade, and so I grew up playing video games uh, as much as I possibly could, and it's always been something that I absolutely love to, to be able to do when I have the chance. 
I'm also a mom, and so I have a limited amount of time. When it comes to that, it's usually after the little one's gone to bed, I grab an hour here or there. Um, but other than that, it's just, it's a lot of fun being a part of a really cool group and being able to see some interesting developments that are happening in the industry. And we've, we've so, been, uh, we've, we've been happy to have you since you've joined the team. You've, you've definitely worked on some really cool stuff. Um, we'll definitely get into that a little bit, but what other types of, uh, games and stuff do you enjoy playing? Um, I'm very, very, uh, everything from retro to, to horror to, uh, first person shooter. I'm, I'm terrible at dungeon crawlers. I will admit that now. Um, and platforming, I'm, I'm just, oh gosh, platforming. I love Donkey Kong, but I'm really bad at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I kind of try to branch out. I'll play the main stuff. Um, you know, ESO is, or, or Elder Scrolls, sorry, is probably one of my biggest um, loves. I've racked 6,000 hours, I think, across all the platforms that I have it on. And But I also love indie development titles. Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest was and still is up in my top 10 and probably will never disappear from that. Um, so so it's just it's kind of whatever strikes my fancy. As far as horror goes, uh, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm planning on starting to stream on Twitch. And, and my first title that I want to do is called White Knight, and it is a black and white noir uh, style detective or it's the only game that I've ever had that literally made me almost drop my computer and my controller. I had to walk away from it for a couple of months before I could come back and try it again. Oh, wow. So, so I'm looking forward to uh, screaming for an audience <laughs> and seeing what happens. Um, that sounds so, interesting. <laughs> I try to encourage people to play those because they tend to be the, the gems that go unnoticed because they're not produced by a huge studio. Um, so I find that indie development studios are very much so invested in in their craft. And so it's really cool to be able to play some of these uh, projects that, that you know a lot of love went into. For sure. That'll be awesome to, to help shine a light on some of those games as well. So we're definitely looking forward to you joining our uh, Twitch team for sure when that happens. <laughs> so um, what other uh, projects have you been working on and are you working on for, for Mega Visions? Uh, well, you guys keep me pretty busy, um, <laughs> but it's, it's something that I, I absolutely love to be able to do. Right now I'm working on a, a rather large piece for, for us that deals with accessibility within the gaming industry. And what I'm looking at is where we've been which has been a long time in coming. We've taken the, the long route to get anywhere in recognizing what accessibility means and what kind of things that we need to start implementing into games to make them more accessible. Um, I am a disabled gamer, and so to me, it's something that's very uh, near and dear to my heart at this particular point in time. I've met a lot of really interesting people who are working for for example, Square Enix and Xbox. Um, but I've also gotten the chance to talk to individual players um, and development studios like Low Tech, um, who are starting to be the forerunners for a lot of this uh, technology. For example, Low Tech, the reason that uh, The Last of Us 2 has 
accessibility features is because Lotech got involved. Um, Ali is is the head of that team, and he is dyslexic. And so, because of the lack of attention to that kind of disability within gaming features, he started writing some coding and some programs to help out with that. He has his own company, but he he got the attention of um, of the Last of Us Two's team, development team. And he was able to implement a lot of those features into it to make it more accessible. Um, I'm also talking to the lead for Guardians of the Galaxy, which has won awards in accessibility because of their strides in, in different features that they're doing there. So it's a really exciting time to see where we're headed with it. Uh, it's also nice to see that we are branching out beyond the quote unquote acceptable disabilities. Um, you know, being blind or deaf seems to be like the trend in a lot of these games. And we're starting to see people who are um, wheelchair bound, who have mobility issues, who are, uh, I was talking to somebody else and they mentioned um, quadriplegic. And so it's really cool that we're able to, to start seeing some of these things branch out into other avenues. So so that I'm, I'm pretty excited about, about that, obviously, since I'm talking a lot about it. <laughs> uh, and then also, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, I'm also working on a story about Glutton, which is uh, Tracy Collins' lost game. And I'm, I, I wrote a piece for the web, but I'm now talking to the family about developing the story further and getting more insight into who Tracy was. And also talking to the restoration team who was able to make his game playable, which it will be coming out sometime this year for everyone to be able to play. So I'm incredibly touched and, and very humbled to be able to, to talk to his family and his friends. And I'm really excited to, to see that come to fruition and for other people to be able to read about it and, and then play it when it comes out. So. So that's been my my big project so far. <laughs> you have been very busy, but that <laughs> we have been covering the Activision uh, Blizzard, uh, I guess issues. I, I don't know what is the right <laughs> uh, what what you what word we could kind of encapsulate everything that's been going on with that. Um, a but the buckle <laughs> would probably be, be very good. That's that's a good start for sure. You've been covering it uh, on on our site uh, very well over the past uh, few weeks to months, or you know, it's been a while. Can you kind of uh, tell us what's been going on with all of this? Uh, you know, pre the Microsoft thing that happened this week, which we'll get into as well. But beyond that, like what what got us to this point? I guess can you can you talk to us about that? Uh, yeah, so I've been covering this pretty much since like the the first or second week after it broke. Um, so Activision Blizzard is being sued by the California um, it's the California Employment Department. And they were accused of sexual harassment, sexual assault, discrimination, uh, hoops to jump through to get promoted unfair hiring practices, you name it. And this was after a three-year investigation that they did into the company, all of the teams, the subsidiaries, the, the Activision 
has their fingers in, in those kinds of pies. And it became very apparent that not only was this wasn't something small, this was affecting a lot of people, primarily women. Um, they are the, the, the poor of the victims. Um, but there are some uh, minorities as well. I believe they, they mentioned um, Black and Asian people both were targets of some of these things and as well as some, some um, LGBTQ issues as well. So, so it just kind of runs the entire gambit and it started with descriptions of uh, what they termed as cubicle crawls. Um, I will not get into those details. I've read the affidavit and honestly it is, it makes you sick. Um, there's another word for it to explain. They also, and they deny all of these allegations that should be mentioned, um, but they also are accused of perpetrating a suicide among one of the employees who was rather high up in the company. Um, and of course, those allegations have been denied as well. But when you start putting the puzzle pieces together, it, it forms a pretty, pretty gruesome um, picture for us all. So, so that's where we really started with that. And that was back in July. And um, as a woman in the gaming industry, I have had personal experience with discrimination um, and, and harassment. And, and so for me, it just, it really struck a chord because it's like, I know, and I'm not speaking for all men, obviously, because I, I refuse to lump everybody together, but I know that the majority of, of the guys within gaming tend to view women as either weaker or as, you know, just the eye candy there. And we see that a lot in character development. Um, you look back over the years at how female characters have been portrayed. Uh, everyone always points to Laura Croft for her crop top and booty shorts. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good example. Um, and then you flash forward to what we're seeing today. And uh, I know you've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn and Forbidden West is coming out soon. And you yes. look at how Aloy is portrayed and how she is dressed and it is a vast difference. Um, the Tomb Raider franchise has gotten better over the years, obviously. With the reboots, we did see Laura become um, much more of a, you know, a badass, honestly. Um, but it, it's nice to see that we are, are starting, starting to see some of that in that direction. But at the same time, it shouldn't be that we are dealing with a, a very corrupt company to get there. Um, For sure, yeah. so, so that's where, yeah, that's where we all started. And then it just, I likened it to the, and I, it was in a couple of my, uh, my op-eds. I, I likened it to the Titanic because that's what I really saw it as. You have this massive ship that really thinks that it, it, it's, you know, invincible and it knows the iceberg's there, but it doesn't bother to, to pay any attention to it. And so we ended up starting to see the snowball effect where once these allegations came out and more and more women started speaking up within not just Activision, but we had the whole thing with Ubisoft um, as well. Uh, we also had Riot Games. And so we started seeing the, the industry kind of start to hemorrhage these allegations of abuse from, from every corner. And, and Activision, obviously, is the, is the biggest one that we're talking about. Part of that is because Bobby Kotek, and boy, boy, I have some things to say about him, but that's not nice. Um, <laughs> he, 
he apparently knew about these things for over 25 years. And that right there is just monumental when you think about him. Because he first came out and said, I have worked my entire career to keep this kind of uh, frat boy culture away from Activision. I'm completely sickened by this. You know, all of the stuff that you expect to hear uh, if you have a good PR firm, which obviously (laughs) Activision Blizzard did. And, and then it started coming out that, hey, he, he knew about this. Not only did he know about this, but he helped cover it up. And so how do you have faith in a company when that kind of thing happens? It, it's just, it's mind-boggling that that anybody can sit there and say, oh, Activision Blizzard is just fine. Um, right. And then after that, we had the shareholders lawsuit because apparently not only did he know about it, but he also didn't disclose it to the shareholders. And so they got upset. That ended up being settled. Uh, it was an $18 million settlement, which when you started dividing, somebody did the math. When you started dividing everything up, it would pay out to about 60 people. Um, and the lawsuit's much, much bigger than that. So, so yeah, it's just been kind of, oh, and within that lawsuit, there's also the possibility of allowing Activision Blizzard to get rid of any evidence that the California lawsuit would view as something that they need. So, so yeah, so it's just, it, it is a mess. The whole thing wow. is just a nightmare. So I um, wanted to ask yeah. though, because <laughs> I, I know we, we were talking about um, Bobby and we'll talk about him more later for sure, but this didn't seem like it was something solely, you know, at, at from like the senior level of the company. It sounded like this was something that was almost entrenching the culture and it seemed like it was affecting, you know, middle management to everyone throughout the company. No, there is no place really within Activision Blizzard and and not just the company, but it's gaming culture as well that this hasn't touched on uh, people who have played or world. Uh, well, uh, sorry. World of Warcraft uh, have mentioned it repeatedly. I was a Call of Duty player and absolutely adored playing online matches. And then I mic'd up one day and everybody found out I was a girl. And and that was the last time I played because the things that they said were absolutely atrocious and it just, it broke my heart. And so I had to completely step away from that kind of culture. And, and that's the problem is that if, if the, the higher ups allow this to trickle down into the lower levels, then it comes out across the the community as well as being something that's acceptable. And so, yeah, it wasn't just it wasn't just the higher ups that were having this problem. I mean, some of the people that were in the now infamous Cosby suite were not; they were just you know regular people, um, part of the development teams, part of the creative teams. And so, so yeah, that's the problem is that this entire company. I mean, if you were to purge it, I don't have any idea what the numbers would look like, but I'm going to wager, I guess, it would be rather substantial. So, wow, wow. so that's, yeah, you I, know, I, that's the problem there. And you mentioned, you know, this is not just an Activision Blizzard thing. There's several companies, you know, many companies that, you know, have been going through this. And it seems like this has been you know, entrenched in the culture, you know, in, in the gaming industry for a long time. And I think it's a very good thing that it's coming to light and and we have an opportunity to, to make these changes so that, you know, everyone has you know equal treatment and they're not going through these type of 
um, harassment, especially at work. Uh, it's it's just crazy some of the stuff that's happened and, and the stories that have been coming out about this. It's just it really is mind boggling. But can you you know, at that point, you talked about the, the shareholders earlier, the lawsuit there. Um, more recently, obviously, came when we got news that uh, Microsoft was going to, to actually purchase Activision Blizzard for nearly what was it? Seventy billion dollars. Well, the past is let's see, has it been 48 hours already? Uh, since the news broke, have been kind of a whirlwind of of just absolute insanity. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but my phone was blowing up as soon as the news hit. <laughs> and the reactions were were varied. You had people who were super excited because that meant that they could play, you know, some of their games that they really enjoy. In fact, uh, my husband mentioned that somebody he knows was like they were really glad because they haven't been able to support Activision Blizzard, but now they feel that they can um, because now they're Microsoft. So obviously that changes everything. Um, I don't understand that thinking at this particular point in time, but that's-, that's <laughs> I guess, I mean, if you have, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's everyone has, per, you know, their own ethical views on, on that, I guess. But yeah. If that's, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's one way to that do it. But their prevailing opinion about the whole thing too was, was that you know hey we don't have to hate activision anymore because microsoft has it and and mind you i didn't mention microsoft earlier but microsoft has been embroiled in its own sexual harassment issues as well so um so yeah so they acquired activision blizzard or they are acquiring activision blizzard um for nearly 70 70 billion dollars um and Gosh, there's so much to say about that. <laughs> I know. And, so, and so, yeah, it's just, it, it got really complicated really fast. And a lot of the problems have to do with the fact that nobody can seem to get their story straight, um, mm-hmm. which is, is morbidly ironic. Um, so, so Activision and, and Bobby Kotek particularly, he had a, he had an interview and it was kind of like a, you get really tired of listening to his particular brand of BS because that's exactly mm. what it seems to come down to. He says the same thing over and over again and we all roll our eyes because seriously, what's, what's the point of listening to him anymore? It was with Game Beat that he had an interview and um, previously, just a few weeks ago, Phil Spencer, who's the CEO of Xbox, had come out and said that he wasn't going to really point the finger at Activision for what was going on there. And that as far as like being a CEO goes, you know, they all make mistakes and they all have to learn from them. And and he wasn't really involved in it. He didn't really have much of an opinion. And it was interesting because I, I sat there and I read that and I went, yeah, right. Um, it just it just doesn't ring true. And then so it was interesting that when the, the interview with Bobby Kotek happened, that some of the things he said, like Phil and I know each other really well and we have a really great relationship. That I sat there and went, uh-huh. Okay. Um this is this is an interesting development. And he tried to spin it that the reason Activision Blizzard was being acquired by Microsoft was because they sat down and really looked at things. And it decided that in order for Activision Blizzard to move forward into the future of gaming, they would need to either hire a heck of a lot of people. Uh, Mind you, Activision Blizzard has about 10,000 employees at this particular point in time. So they would have to hire more employees and develop more departments in order to be able to advance within the gaming community. 
or they could possibly be acquired by a bigger um, a bigger company, which obviously Microsoft decided to take the bait on that one. Uh, it was also very interesting that within a few hours after the, the acquisition, um, the news came out that Kotech had tried to buy a couple of gaming magazines. Yeah, um, it was Kotaku, I think PC yeah. Gamer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, in order to spin the narrative about Activision Blizzard into a more favorable light. Um, and anytime somebody tends to do that, especially when you're looking at legal situations, it's an immediate red flag that something is up. Um, thankfully, Kotaku and PC Gamer did not uh, get bought by him um, because we could imagine what the media circles well, look I, like I, right now. I think that also just to points this, to, so. to the type of person you're dealing with. I mean, this is not, I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. any rational person would know this is not something that would make any sort of sense like you buy kotaku or pc gamer and then you start having them cover your own games like everyone's gonna know that happened and it, there, there would yeah. be a giant blowback and it's just it's so i think that's just one example that this person is not living on this earth like it just you know what i mean like he, yeah. he is just completely <laughs> yeah. ir irrational and just seemingly a moron what's really mind-boggling to a lot of people though is that he still has a job at this right. point right um but, but i think there's probably a lot more to it than the fact of just hey we're we're gonna acquire activision blizzard and the ceo is just gonna gone the next day uh, so like you said it's that is part of what came out that was was not Put forth by uh, Kotech, obviously. I mean, he tried to spin it in this in this peaceful light that they were all gonna, you know, join hands and sing Kumbaya as this thing took over. Uh, it it was mentioned by Microsoft that once the the deal went through, Activision Blizzard's teams would be reporting directly to Microsoft. And so immediately, anyone who's been paying attention to the Activision Blizzard lawsuits. Kind of sat up and went, okay, what does that mean about Bobby? Um, are we finally getting rid of him? In fact, I saw a lot of uh, tweets from people who have been working with the victims of Activision Blizzard, and the the consensus pretty much was, you know, f Bobby. Um, so, so the tide was definitely turning not in his favor, and it wasn't very long until the Wall Street Journal came out and said. Well, according to some people that we know that have intimate knowledge of the deal, Bobby's on his way out. Um, what kind of severance package that's going to look like later on, we obviously don't know at this particular point in time. When all of this is going to go forward, we don't we don't know that either. Um, some of the big questions that that personally I have is how this is going to affect the the lawsuits because the lawsuits themselves are not directly uh, against Bobby Kotek, they are against Activision Blizzard as a corporation. And so Microsoft, you know, dipping its toes into this particular dumpster fire is, is rather interesting at this point. Um, Activision has repeatedly tried to not only get rid of evidence, but also get the case dismissed. And that has not gone their direction at all. And so 
having the backing of, you know, a big company like Microsoft, they have a lot more money and probably much bigger uh, stakes in the law in, in law and everything. So, so yeah, at this point in time, the, the details are still pretty murky as far as why, um, as far as, as what the deal is going to look like. Uh, there were also individual shareholders who started speaking out and saying that the whole reason this deal was was coming forward was because they had all gotten nervous by the the fact that they can't get the lawsuits dismissed and the stocks Activision stocks were starting to tank and and so you just I mean you literally are watching the Titanic sink at this particular point in time so it comes down to do you stick with the ship or do you jump into the lifeboat? Um, and then hope you know you get picked up by somebody else. And so it seems like that's kind of what's happening at this point in time. Activision sinking. We've got shareholders. We've got other people who are jumping into the lifeboats and they're swimming to Microsoft for safety. So um, it, it will be very interesting. The lawsuits were scheduled to start in December, but that was pushed back. And at this particular point in time, we don't have word of exactly when they're going to start. Um, but you better believe that when they do, we're going to know about it. Oh, so, sure. uh, so that's yeah. So that's kind of where we stand at this particular point in time. There's a lot of, um, I mean, for my own, because I I do get to write the opinions on this kind of thing. Uh, for my own opinion, it feels like a sleight of hand. Um, Activision's been has been doing that quite often. When anything broke about them, they would release a new character on Fortnite, or they renamed one of them, or they said, you know, we we're starting to implement this department for inclusivity and we're doing this and we're doing all sorts of things to try to save face. And and so this could be the biggest attempt at saving face we've ever seen. Uh, it could be a possibility that Microsoft is attempting to, you know, monopolize, which that, that's been a big deal right now um, and, and drive Sony out of business. Or it could be that maybe Microsoft sees itself as the the heroes of the gaming industry. I mean, they are working in conjunction with Ubisoft, and and now they have uh, Activision. And and my feelings was, you know, if you throw Riot in there, we we've got them all. So uh, maybe they are trying to clean up the the industry, and they feel that they're the white knight in shining armor who's able to do this because they have the reach and the money to be able to. Uh, uh, move forward. So I mean, it's there's a lot that's just kind of hanging by a thread right now, and we're waiting to see where this where this goes. Um, but the fact that Microsoft and, and Activision can't get their story straight as to why this whole thing was coming forward doesn't really make me trust anything that they're saying. I have um, a feeling that it, so, it all happened very quickly, and they they're they're yeah, trying to get yeah. caught up. On, on this is 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 probably what happened. I, I don't anticipate this was probably something that maybe had been in negotiations for for weeks or anything like that or months. And so they're well, I, they're made. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um. Yeah. I I like I said I've been working with some of the people in accessibility and one of the people that I've been talking to is part of Xbox. And his first comment on on Twitter that day was I had no idea this was coming. So, and that's been the thing that I've seen more than once from people who were on either side of it, uh, was that they had no idea that this was going to be happening. They woke up to the news the same way that we did. So, yeah. so yeah, I think you're right. It was it was kind of a, a scramble to get this done in a very particular uh, 
particularly quick way. And I think that, that because it was so quick, something's coming. Um, and, and we will find out in the coming weeks, whatever that particular thing is. But at this point in time, Activision Blizzard's looking for a safe harbor, and it, it appears that Microsoft is it. So we'll yeah, have we'll, to see we'll, what happens. We'll definitely see. And, and, and another side of that, too, is, and you kind of touched on it, is is the whole, uh, you know, just the, 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 the video game side of things, too, and the fact that Microsoft, you know, now owns you know, the whole library of Activision Blizzard, yeah. uh, Call of Duty, you know, so many other great franchises, so many other franchises that are important to PlayStation uh, owners. And so there's so much confusion and unknown going on right now. Um, I think Microsoft and, and Phil Spencer is trying to put everyone at ease and, and saying that they're going to honor the contracts. And uh, yeah, so what, what do you make of that? What do you think might be... Uh, the future of some of these franchises, like I was saying, people are scared that they may go exclusive to to Xbox. Uh, do you think that's going to happen? And and what do you think we may see, you know, in the in the coming, uh, I guess, months to to you know year with some of these things? Um, I don't really have a lot of trust in Microsoft when they sit there and say that they're not going to make something exclusive. Uh, one of my favorite franchises is the Elder Scrolls. And when they bought Bethesda, they told everybody, oh, don't worry. All of the contracts that we have will be upheld with all of the, the um, corporations that they are supposed to be with. Um, anything that was supposed to be exclusive would still be exclusive for a certain amount of time. All of that. And then um, about four months ago, I think it was, it came out that... Uh, Elder Scrolls 6 would be a Microsoft exclusive. And believe you me, everyone in the neighborhood probably hold, heard me just barking up the storm. So, because um, it was like you said that they would honor their contracts and now you have reneged on that. So, and I think that's kind of where Sony's panicking at this particular point in time about it as well, is that they're looking at the past that Microsoft the promises that Microsoft has made and then has immediately not upheld. So yeah, I would, if I'm Sony right now, I would be very, very worried. Um, they cannot, their, their value at this particular point in time as a, as a company is about $20 billion short of what Microsoft's entire uh, Microsoft is worth. Um, and so at this particular point, they do not have the buying power to even attempt to compete with what Microsoft is doing. And um, monopolizing within an industry is not unheard of. Um, we've seen it happen with uh, cell phone companies. We've seen it happen with uh, other gaming companies. And Microsoft has bought several other gaming companies and then absorbed them into, into the, the Xbox Microsoft umbrella. And, and so I can understand why not only Sony, but the players as well are sitting there going, okay, I, I don't have the money to go out and buy an Xbox in addition to my PlayStation, but I still want to be able to play my favorite games. Um, the games that you've been, you know, that you've told us that are going to be on cross compatibility or on both consoles or whatever. I mean, this concept of, of it really goes down to the, the console core thing. And it's absolutely stupid. Um, <laughs> I agree. I just, yeah, I have, a, I have a real problem with the console war because I have owned both PlayStation and Microsoft products. 
and I love them both. I can't afford to have both of them right now. I just can't. Um, you're looking at, you know, about almost $2,000 to be able to I have all of the things that you need to be able to play the games you want. And, and so there are people who are, who are very worried at this particular point in time about whether or not their favorite games are going to be available to them. And Microsoft trying to ease those fears, their track record doesn't speak really well, especially lately. I mean, if this was something that had happened, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't really have too much of a problem. But this happened just a few months ago. So, so at this particular point in time, I, I really think that, that we need to be worried um, that the, that the idea of Microsoft monopolizing everything is truly a possibility. And actually, I'm there was uh, because of the acquisition, it raised alarms with the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice almost immediately. Um, and so they are actively investigating not only their rules that they have for this kind of thing, but exactly what the intents that Microsoft is is displaying, although they have repeatedly said that, that it's just coincidence um, that they're that they launched an investigation into their own <laughs> things right around the same time that Microsoft does. Yeah. Anyway, there are so uh, many layers you know, to this whatever. story <laughs> there. I mean, and, and I think that's what's <laughs> that's what's so fascinating about it. And and it seems like there's as 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 but as soon as we think it's it's going to get as like crazy and wild as it's going to get like there's something else that happens and and you know the microsoft stuff might have been like one of the just the biggest news drops ever in our industry just like holy crap like you know like that it was just such a a crazy moment um and so it's going to be interesting to continue to to follow this because uh you know you're right there i think there's a lot of uh real reasons to to you know, be cautious and, and to about this deal on many different fronts and, and many different perspectives. So um, I, I hope that, uh, you know, as the weeks go on, you know, we get some more information and we start filling in some of the cracks or, or you know, tie some of the loose ends in this story and, and, and we kind of figure things out. So um, I'm sure you'll you'll definitely continue to cover this as we uh, as more as the story develops. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would like to to turn our attention to you. We we touched on it at the beginning, but you had been covering Tracy Cullinan's uh, story about uh, Glutton, and this is just a, such an interesting uh, story. And I would like to quickly, you know, bring it to the to the listeners' attention because I I want them to go and read it. But can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Tracy's story and and what we learned about this uh, this article? Um, so it, I'm not even sure how we got a hold of it. It was just a, a Twitter thread that popped up um, about a week ago about this guy that had gotten Tracy Colin, Colman's uh, glutton disc. Um, it was on a floppy, sorry. It was, it's for the Apple II, and it was given to him by Tracy's brother, Corey. And this, this is the only copy ever of this particular game. And part of what makes it so uh, so important is that Tracy, Tracy died when he was 18 um, in 1986. He died, he died from brain cancer. And he was considered a genius. He was an entrepreneur who started his own business and was running it by the time he was 15. 
Um, he was creating software for his entire community. He was also recognized by Atari and placed on the Atari Youth Advisory Board, which allowed them to try out different things, that, different products that Atari were was working on. Um, he didn't actually ever get the chance to work on any video games for Atari before he passed away. He just worked on figuring out some of their home computer uh, software and hardware. Um, and so by all accounts, the, the, he was a genius. And unfortunately, he, he passed away way too soon. But this game had gone missing and forgotten for the most part. I mean, I had to refresh my memory when I was looking through all this because he died when I was four years old. So I wouldn't have remembered uh, mm -hmm. Glutton at all or any news about it. Um, and so these, the, the disc was found at his mom's house and Corey sent it to another uh, restorator. Uh, his name is Kay. And he took a look at the disc and thought that it was a lost cause. And, but he wasn't going to give up. So he went ahead and he sent it to someone else that he knew. And he was like, I have this game. Uh, this is, you know, I, I've washed it. I've tried to, to clean it up and I can't seem to get it to work. Can you, can you figure something out? And so they took a look at it and they were able to figure out that it was it was readable the the thing was not damaged it was just under some encryption and and protection software that that tracy had encode, encoded it with um which like i said genius right <laughs> <laughs> and so he he sent it over to someone else and who who works with uh re restoration and archiving um apple II components and games and all that sort of stuff and they were able to take a look at it and actually get it to run so the game is functional and it will be coming out um sometime this year as part of a, a exploratory anniversary sort of package for apple II games so um and i just i mean when i when i saw it in in our queue and I, I started looking into it it took me a few minutes to really process well actually not a few minutes it took me several hours to even process what it was that I was looking at here because mm -hmm. we get stuff we get experiences all the time um, you read about them and and in all sorts of you know websites and things like that and they tend to be sensationalized and then you end up with the, that one rare gem, and this and this kind of felt like that. This felt like this was something super important to our gaming history. You have a, a once in a lifetime chance to clean up a game that's been completely lost by a boy genius who died way before he should have. And I, to be honest, Chris, I was really depressed for like half a day, just you know, as I'm digesting reading about him and watching his interview on the Today Show and just trying to to kind of wrap my head around how do you present this story in a way that not only shows honor to him, but gets the community excited about something that we would never have had the opportunity to play if all of this hadn't, you know, happened as the stars not aligned. 
sort of thing. And so, so I'm, I'm incredibly, you know, touched by being able to, to write about it. Um, his family has reached out to me and expressed their gratitude uh, for me writing that piece. And honestly, I'm just, I'm incredibly humbled by that because it, it wasn't my story to tell. It was their story and it deserves to, to be read. It deserves to be acknowledged. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm not really sure what else to say about it other than wow. <laughs> it does. I, I, I love that. And uh, I think you, you did a very good job um, of explaining all of that, but it is, it is amazing though, when you do get an opportunity to, uh, to help tell someone's story, uh, you know, to people who may never have heard of them, especially when it's some, some, something as important as Tracy's story uh, in the video game industry. And it's amazing to, you know, to, to, to be able to look back at this game that was lost and it's going to be able to be played again. And, and the story is not done being told yet, you know, like it's going, we're going to get this game eventually and it's going to be really cool to, have that game finally to be able to be fully playable I, I, i'm going to be glad to to see what we learn more about this uh you know as we continue to cover the story yeah even just the the little bits that i've learned uh by talking to his family so far which has just been a couple of emails um you know getting to find out that that steve jobs had came in and visited him when he was sick um because he was so impressed with the just the small impact that Tracy had, had had at that particular point in time. And, and so he touched a lot of people's lives and, and I'm hoping that through uh, our continued coverage on this, he'll be able to touch a lot more. So, and maybe even, and, you know, inspire the next generation. There's kids out there who um, are, are very much so interested in video game development. And, you know, if you think you're too young, you're really not. So, uh, you know, so go for it. And I think that that's kind of the message that you can take away from from what Tracy did was that, yeah, his his time was short, but wow, the the amount of things that he was able to accomplish and the dream that he got to live was was pretty amazing. Um, so I'm really hoping that, you know, we get that kind of twofold um, nostalgic historical factor because it is important that we that we record this. Um, but also the inspiration for for future generations to come. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, I I do encourage you know those listening to go out to our website at megavisions.net and check out Alicia's story uh, on Tracy because it, you know to include it goes into some more detail than what we discussed here. But in addition to that, there's a great video because uh, Tracy actually went on the Today Show. Uh, and and that was a, a really neat, uh, you know, piece because you actually get to to see them, you know, kind of working and they go into to talk about like how much drive he had to start his own business when he was so young and and he was, you know, doing everything on his own. It, it's just such a great story uh, and I'm so excited that we can continue to help tell it. Uh, thanks again for your coverage on that. All right, let's turn our attention now because we did talk about Windjammers a little bit too. And I, I would quickly like to, to talk about that because you reviewed uh, Windjammers 2 for the website. I've been playing it a bit myself. And I'll tell you this, I think I really am the worst Windjammers player on the planet. <laughs> I'm so bad at it, but I love the game and I keep coming back to it. So tell me a little bit about Windjammers 2 and, uh, and your experience with it. 
Um, I refer to it as stupid fun. Um, and that is not a derogatory, you know, dig at the game or anything like that. It's just, it's kind of over the top ridiculous. It reminds me of, of games I used to play as a, you know, a kid when you'd go to the, the pizza parlor and they have the like uh, off-road. That was the one that made me think of the most because they have the girls in the bikinis and stuff like that. And, and so this game has a, a retro arcade sort of feel to it. And, and, uh, but it's ridiculously fun as well. <laughs> it, I know you say you're the worst. Um, I, I, I challenge you to a duel on that one. Cause seriously, <laughs> I suck. <laughs> awful, awful at it. Um, I'm mashing buttons and stuff like that. And I swear that my, every time I play, my character is like slower than molasses and they just kind of wander across the, the field instead of actually dashing like I want them to or anything like that. Um, so, so it's, it, it's not necessarily something that I'm good at, but boy, boy, is it a lot of fun to play. Um, and, and you and I were both talking about, you know, our kids and being able to get our kids into this. And so, uh, as, as having the ability to, to review it, um, we played it as a family. Um, I worked through the arcade part. My husband works through the arcade as well, using a different character because each character has a different ending. Um, there's not really any storyline, but there is apparently some backstory to each of the characters. And so it's, it's really cute when you get done uh, playing your last round. If you win, you get to see what, where they go from there after they've won the championship. And each one is very unique and very different. Uh, and so we decided that we'd try playing it as a family, too, because it has the, the local co-op, which is it's great. How many games anymore have local co-op? It's just really hard to find um, other than like, you know, Mario Kart or something like that. Uh, so we started playing it and I immediately like, bowed out because dear God, I, I'm not good enough to be able to keep up with either one of them. But my daughter who just turned 18 and my husband was playing and while he can he can trounce her for the most part, she still gets some really good licks in. And they were just having them so much fun that I was laughing so hard. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. It, I, it was just it's an awesome way to bring the family together, you know. And so that that's what makes it stupid fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I I was I was listening to an interview earlier today, actually, with uh, Cyril Ember. He's the Dot uh, Emu's. Uh, president CEO, he was taught telling a lot of cool information about like how, you know, this game ended up getting made, uh, and, and some other really good stuff. So I, I, I want to say that was on IG one of IGN's podcasts. I think they're PlayStation podcast. Um, I believe, but definitely go check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes to it because I, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it was interesting because when they approach, according to what he said, in, in, you know, in the podcast, when they approached the company that owned the rights uh, to Windjammers, um, the idea all along for for them was to get to this point to to release Windjammers two, but the idea was was for them to re-release the original Windjammers to kind of um, get it back um, into people's minds again, and 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 also to kind of gauge. Um, the level of excitement, and they he said that they were really surprised at at how uh, how many people were playing you know Windjammers and and the overall you know excitement for it again because he wasn't 
even though he grew up and, and loved playing the game, um, you know, back when it was originally released, he didn't know how big of a community there still was for it. And they were really surprised by that. And and now, you know, that allowed them to get to this point where they were able to get funding and everything for, for Windjammers too. So I thought that was that was really neat. And he also talked about how there wasn't a, a real story uh, to the game or to the characters in the original Windjammers. And so they did go in and want to add a little bit of that. And you did touch on, like, I guess when you complete the arcade mode with each character, they get some some backstory, right? Yeah, there's a cutscene at the end that shows what happens after they, they've they won. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's there's some really good ones in there. So uh, they, they kind of turn the how you view the character on its head. So, um, so yeah, I thought that that was a really nice addition to to add into it. Um, and I had done, done some research when I was uh, writing my review as well, and I, I did find it very interesting that uh, them being able to port this over was kind of a, you know, something lucky because the original owner of the rights for this had actually ended up going bankrupt um and so they were bought out by a couple of different companies and the one company has most of their holdings into software and uh, hardware development but the other company took over some of their uh, game titles and so it was through this division that they were able to um, allow for the porting to other consoles you know, with the original one, and then, and then, yeah, the follow-up was Windjammers too. So, um, and so it's just kind of cool to see how how things fell, so that we could be able to play this game. Um, and I'm glad that they took the chance at, at making something that you don't really see anymore. Um, and, and I think it's cool that it, they play, you know, that they they paid homage to to the original styles that make these games so silly and yet so much fun. So. Um, yeah, I have to hand it to to Donnie because you're right. They they have really nailed it with so many of their recent releases. Uh, you know, just a few years ago they did Streets of Rage Four. Uh, they're currently in development and they're they're going to publish uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge here. You yeah, know, this right. summer when when that comes out. So I'm very excited. And they've grown into such a great developer and publisher. They've done so many. It seems like they're a, a very capable uh, developer to to treat you know older games and licenses really well. Uh, I, I have to say that I was nervous when they were doing Streets of Rage Four, primarily because I loved the pixel art in those original Streets of Rage games. You know, the the, the 16 bit it looked so great. And then you saw the the change into more of the, the hand-drawn style that that they're known for now. And at first I was like, man, it's so different. I don't I don't know if I like it. It, it how's it gonna play? It's gonna be weird. Uh, but then I played it and it was beautiful and it played so smooth and it, it all my uh worries were quickly erased. And I think it had I not played Streets of Rage 4, I may have come into Windjammers 2 with some of the those same uh, you know, worries because, like I said, the, the original Windjammers uh, had such great pixel art. And then with this one, it has more of that hand-drawn style. So uh, I love the artwork in this game. 
for sure, but it is different. What what do you think of the uh, the, the the art style in the game? It's very bright and flashy. Um, I love the you know bright neon colors that we get to see, and I I always appreciate different art styles in gaming. I think that's part of what makes the gaming industry so amazing is that we do get to see all sorts of different art styles, whether it be pixelated or, you know, um, extremely up close and personal CGI. And and so to me, it's a bit, uh, it always seems like there's something to, to see. Um, I was watching, because again, my husband and daughter were playing last night. And I was paying attention to not the characters themselves, but the crowds surrounding it. And uh, the arenas change constantly. And it's really kind of funny because there's one arena that has, it's a dog or a cat or a teddy bear. I'm not really sure which, but it's an anamorphic character (laughs) that's in the crowd. And I just kind of sat there and went, okay, so there's obviously, you know, they put a lot of thought into the design of of not only the the returning characters, but the new characters and the audience. And um, I don't know, do you know about the secret? <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but do you know about the secret? <laughs> I the secret I don't character? think... I don't know about the secret <laughs> character yet. No. Ah, oh, man. So, so there's uh, okay. a secret character Ooh. that you can get. And if you remember uh, the Noid from way back when we were kids, um, oh my god! And, and what the Noid was like, this is this is very similar to the Noid. Um, the character is perfectly balanced, but the moves that that they make are out of this world. Oh, and, interesting. And and so it's things like that that you know the, the little attention, the details that they put into these things that I think makes it not only over the top but makes it such a great classic going down the line i think um i mean this is seriously the type of game we would have played when we were kids so uh so i you know more power to him when it comes to to how crazy some of these things are drawn uh, <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it's just you know um the only the only thing that i have that, that's my small little criticism and this is always Kind of my bone to pick when it comes to some of these games is um, please include a few more female characters. Um, the two are great. Um, honestly, the the gal who's French is is my favorite character to play as. But uh, we have an overwhelming amount of testosterone on that court, and it would be nice to see a few more females. <laughs> yeah, I could get behind so, that for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of the streams I was watching last night, they were saying that they would like to see the dog as a as a DLC <laughs> character or something like that. That would be great. And I, I am totally behind that. You know, I would play an entire game with the dog. <laughs> so. That would be amazing. I think that's going to wrap up uh, the the you know this bit. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Where can where can people follow you on social media? Um, I have I'm Raven Ravens Quills on. Uh, Twitter, and um, I like I said, I will be starting to stream here soon, and I am also Raven's Quill on on Twitch as well. And if you want to see my adorable kitty cat, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, and that's it's Ranger the Lone Kitty. So <laughs> I also am a kitty lover, so I'll have to give that a follow for sure. 
Uh, thanks <laughs> again, Alicia, for coming on. We'll definitely have to get you uh, to come on and, uh, you know, especially as uh, we, we finish up some of these articles that you're working on, it would be great to, to get you to come back and, and give our, our listeners an update uh, as to some of these, because uh, you definitely are working on some some really great stories. So thanks again, and we'll have to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. See you next time. Thanks again, Alicia, for joining the show. Before we go, I want to encourage you to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com megavisions, where you can subscribe to get a physical or digital edition of Megavisions magazine. We publish quarterly and issue two is shipping in February. Our deadline to secure issue is January 28th, so don't wait to hop on our Patreon. This issue features an amazing Psychonauts-themed cover by Sketchcraft, as well as a full review of Psychonauts 2 and our first developer retrospective, where we take a deep dive into the origins of Double Fine, the developers of Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Grim Fandango, and many more amazing titles. For our Sega nerds out there, we have a great feature by Graham Mason titled The Making of Comic Zone, where he gives us an inside look into the creation of one of the Sega Genesis's most unique-looking games. We also have reviews of Shin Megami Tensei V, Gainog, Knights of the Old Republic on Switch, as well as retro reviews on Tomba, Ninja Spirit, and Cyberbots. We have much more packed in this issue, so be sure to jump on our Patreon now so you don't have to worry about missing out. Go to www.patreon.com megavisions to subscribe today. And if you're looking for more Megavisions merch, be sure to visit the Mega Shop at www.megavisions.net slash shop where you can buy back issues of the magazines, posters, and more. We also ship worldwide.